This evening, I'd like to uh, have you turn to Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And uh, in actuality, and I think this is, this is really more for me than for you all, but uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, verses 28 through 32 is actually chapter 3, so I feel like we're, in, we're moving into a new chapter. In a way, we are. Uh, as I said, you know, the Hebrew scriptures have have uh, four chapters to the book of Yoel or the, the prophecy of Yoel. Uh, the English uh, Bible has it uh, still as, as three. But um, I, I just want to feel like we're moving along. So we're, we're, in, we're in the Hebrew Scriptures, chapter 3, but it's actually chapter 2, verse 28. And uh, uh, you'll see the significance of that. We're, we're going to... Um, dig deep into this passage because it has a lot to do with the church today. It has a lot to do with a New Testament context, this passage that we're going to read and study tonight. And so beginning with verse 28, and I'll kind of get us all cut up here in just a moment, but verse 28 it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And so the future judgment of God, the period of time referred to as the day of the Lord, that which is really the theme of this prophecy of Joel has already been declared by the Lord. He has made it clear that there is going to be a day, which of course we know that it is not just one day, but a, a period of time. Specifically, it is a seven-year period of time. We know it as the time of Jacob's trouble. We also know it as... Uh, the tribulation that is mentioned in the book of Revelation. But in the previous message given by the prophet within this particular chapter, chapter 2, the judgment of God was ultimately to come at the end of human history. Though there are immediate fulfillments and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, imminent fulfillments, throughout the prophets. And Joel being really the, probably the first of the writing prophets. Uh, we see that pretty clearly as well in, in, this, in this short little book. That there, were, there are going to be certain immediate judgments, imminent judgments, and then of course the ultimate judgment at the end uh, in the future. So... 
the judgment of God was ultimately to come and is ultimately to come at the end of human history. And so he called on the people. Even in Joel's time, he calls on them to repent. To repent and, and then he encouraged them. You know, they blew the trumpet in Zion. They gathered the people together. They made them aware of a, ne of a necessity among the people. The judgment was coming. They had already been given a tremendous warning by a, a, a plague of locusts that had already hit the land. The idea behind that was that God was telling the people, listen, if you think this locust plague was bad, it's not going to be as bad as the plagues that are coming in judgment upon Israel and Judah. The Assyrian armies, the Babylonian armies, and so on and so forth. Especially, and, and then ultimately, the, the army of Antichrist. So these are, these are the things that he's calling the people to repent of, even immediately in his own time. At the same time, he encourages them by sharing wonderful promises to those who would truly turn back to the Lord and live righteously, live the way God wanted them to live. The Lord would certainly have a deep concern for those believers living in the last days of human history. And we know that the last days will be a time of unparalleled tribulation as described here, as described in much of, the, uh, much of the prophets of the Old Testament, but particularly in any prophet that emphasizes the day of the Lord. And it wasn't just the prophet Yoel, it was other prophets as well. Days of great darkness, days of great turmoil and anxiety. And because the Lord loves and cares for his genuine followers, he, he has indeed made provisions for them, which is the focus of this passage at the end of chapter 2. And again, the end of chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, is really in the Hebrew Bible or the Hebrew Scriptures, the third chapter. And so the Lord turns from the issues of judgment to the spiritual renewal that he wants to bring to the land. And he encourages the people by showing that he wants to bless them. And time and again, we've talked about the fact that God wants to bless his people. God wants to bless his people. Whether it be Israel, the chosen of God, those chosen by God, not because they were great and mighty, as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Chosen because he loved them. He chose them for a purpose. And just as much, he loves those who have become followers of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And he wants to bless us. And he does. There's no doubt about that. And it's in this passage where we find what that blessing is. If we were to consider one particular blessing of God to his people, this is it here. But to see the full intent and purpose of this passage, we need to see how it is used actually in the New Testament scriptures. 
Because after the resurrection of Jesus, he told his disciples about a promise. He called it the promise of the Father. And if you'll turn to Luke chapter 24, and all of the scriptures that I'm going to give you tonight are very foundational to our understanding of these five verses, verses 28 to 32. Jesus has risen from the dead, and now he's gathered with his disciples here in Luke 24, verse 46. It says, he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Which goes very much along with what we read in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Where everything was to begin in Jerusalem. The gospel was to be preached in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So he said, it should be preached in his name among all the nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And notice verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So from the very words of Jesus here, we we get an understanding then that this particular promise has to do with the power of God to be given to his people. In this case, to those who are followers of Christ, to the believers in Jesus Christ. In effect, to the church. And then you read in Acts chapter 1, In verses 4 and 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Now remember that the book of Acts was also written by Luke. So there is a continuity that we find between the end of the Gospel of Luke with the beginning of the book of Acts. In fact, the person that he writes this Gospel to, Luke 24, or all of Luke, and then the book of Acts is written to a man named Theophilus. So it's as if he's just continuing to write his letter to this man. Anyway, getting back to verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. Now remember those words, you have heard of me. You've you've heard of this promise. And then he says in verse 5, For John, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit not many days hence. (coughs) So, there they are in the upper room in Jerusalem waiting for the promise of the Father. 120 of them, uh, including the uh, disciples, of course, the, the apostles, the eleven. And then there came this rushing mighty wind through that particular room on the day of Pentecost, a, a feast day for the Jewish people. And it was on that day that these tongues of fire fell upon these 120. And they began to speak with other tongues 
and give praise and honor and glory to the God that they served. And they praised and gave honor and glory to the one that they loved. And as you move on into what was going on in that, in that place and in that day, others began to hear what was happening. They began to wonder what was, what was taking place that day. And questions began to be asked as, a, as in Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 21. And they were all amazed, it says, and this is speaking of the people that were outside of the upper room and hearing all these languages being spoken. Languages that some of them understood because they were speaking, a la- they were speaking languages of all of the areas uh, that these Jews represented from where they came to worship in, in Jerusalem. So they were amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, what meaneth this? What is this all about? Others mocking said, these men are, are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, you men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which was nine o'clock. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Yoel. This is that, pointing directly to a prophecy that all of them should have known. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Yoel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter would begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to his people and to many who knew what had, what had happened some 50 days earlier. Even 55 days earlier when Jesus was taken to the cross and crucified. We're told in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2 so we can speed up this process. Now when they heard this, speaking of the message of the gospel, given to them directly. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And notice this, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, 
even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now listen to the list again. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to you, my brethren that are Jewish, to you and to your children, and to all that are afar off. Though that are afar off, both as Gentiles and those that are afar off as far as time is concerned. Speaking how the message of the gospel has come down to us in our day and time. It says, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now this is an important thought to remember because of something that I'll say a little bit later. But just remember how, how inclusive this is. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized. Then they that, were gladly, uh, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And one day, the church not only was born, but grew. And so, in effect, the passage in Joel's prophecy is declaring God's desire for any who would call upon the name of the Lord. God's desire to bless anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord. And consider this. The promise in Acts 2.39 is to us. It is to us. As much as it was for that, in that day to the, the 120 in the upper room, as much as it was that day to the thousands of Jews who heard Peter preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as much as it was to those 3,000 who received the message. And what the Lord has always desired is to bless, renew, and to gift his people. And again, take note of that. To bless, to renew, and to gift his people. He wants to bless his people, as we've already mentioned. He wants to renew those who have struggled and, and, and in trials and in all kinds of situations and circumstances and tribulations and, and temptations. And he wants to gift his people. God is the greatest giver that there can ever be. No one can ever outgive God. So going back to Joel and looking at verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward. Now, if you are paying attention, you'll see the distinction between the word that Joel uses in, 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 the, in the Hebrew scripture, afterward, and what, Paul, or what Peter said when he said, in the last days. It shall come to pass in the last days. And we'll, we're going to talk about that and compare those in just a moment. But it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Now, just in reading that particular verse, there are three giftings that are mentioned in this verse. Three giftings. What are they? Prophecy, dreams, and visions. And we're, gonna, we're gonna spend more time next time talking about those three things. This is how slow we're going through this passage. But we're getting the mentions so you'll know what it is that we're talking about 
Generally speaking, these are the gifts that God has given to his people that he has poured upon his spirit, uh, upon that flesh. We'll talk about the flesh in just a moment. But these were supernatural giftings, not only for Yoel's audience, but for our time as well. If you are comparing <coughs> the Hebrew passage with the New Testament passage in the book of Acts, then you realize that these gifts are to be given as well to all of the church, along with Israel and Judah. Of the faithful that are in Israel and Judah, and, and again, I'm, I'm going to specify that even more later on, but it was a prophecy not only for their time, but it was for our time as well. This is another passage that has a double fulfillment. And how many times do we see as we're studying the prophecies of the Old Testament that most of them, I mean, we go back to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea, and, and, and here in Joel, Amos, as, which will be the next book, and, and so on. Going through all of the prophets, what do we find? We find that they have near prophecies and future prophecies. In this case, there is a double fulfillment. There's a present blessing and a future blessing. Now, a question that could be asked is this. Did Jesus teach this to his disciples after the resurrection? Did he teach about this particular event? The outpouring of his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Did he teach that to his disciples? In other words, did he prepare his disciples in any way of that of that which was to shortly take place in their lives. Well, let's go back to Luke 24. We're, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of going back, back and forth, back and forth, this scripture and that scripture, okay? Just so you'll know, you might keep some bookmarks along the way. But going back to what Jesus was saying in Luke, I'm going to add a couple of verses to this passage now. Go back to verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. By the way, this is instruction. <laughs> this is Jesus instructing his disciples even after he has risen from the dead. So that's a, that's a wonderful picture, isn't it? You know, the, the Lord is, is continuing to instruct his disciples. Of all the things written in the word of God, all the things written in the book of Moses, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. That's all of the Tanakh. The Tanakh being the whole of the Hebrew scriptures. All three major portions are given to us here. He says, I have taught you where I am in all the pages of the Hebrew scriptures concerning me. And then opened he their understanding. Now this is a beautiful picture. If we can take some time on it, we're not going to because we don't have the time. But if we could, we could just see how, that, how, how great this is for us to realize that whatever understanding God wants to give his disciples soon after his resurrection, he wants to continue to give to his disciples today. He wants us to have understanding. And a lot of times we don't have understanding because we ourselves close ourselves off to the things that God wants to teach us about Jesus. So it's wonderful to see he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. 
What have we been talking about this, this just, I was going to say this year. Well, yeah, we're still in. We're in a new year. We started off with this very thing, that too much of the church today has put aside the word of God and not cared about teaching the scriptures. But Jesus, even after the resurrection, is teaching them to understand the word of God. And here's the thing, don't forget this. They, be, they began to believe, and they, and they should have believed, as you'll see that we're talking about how, how long the, uh, the period of time called the last days is. They believe they were in the last days, and that's okay to believe that, and you'll see why in a moment. But, but they believe they were in the last days. So if they were still to understand the scriptures, knowing that Jesus could come right back and take them home in, in any given moment... How much more are we who are waiting for the coming of Jesus needing to understand the scriptures as God would have us to? And, said, and he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So now he's not only talking about the word of God, now he's talking about the spirit of God. You put two and two together and you go back to the gospel of John. And in chapter four, when he spoke to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he talks about the fact that God wants to be worshipped how? In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So he says, behold, I send the promise of my father, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, more than likely, Jesus used Yoel as an example when he's speaking to his disciples about the promise of the Father. I'm saying more than likely, because this was likely the reason that Peter was so bold in preaching and teaching to the Jews gathered at the temple on Pentecost the things that Joel predicted. Now, where are we going back to? Acts chapter 2. Where it says in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and he said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days. In the prophecy, it says, it, uh, it shall come to pass afterward. We'll talk about it in a moment. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, and I would highlight and underline the word yours, your, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
and on my servants, underline my servants. We have to come to a distinction here, a distinction in the word as to what all flesh is. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and, the, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit again, is prophesying what is yet to come in the last days. But before anything happens, the Spirit of God is to come upon his people. And I'll be more clear about that in just a moment. We see in verse 17 now, in the passage I just read, that Peter uses that phrase, in the last days, while we read in Yoel's prophecy, the words, it shall come to pass afterward. But understand that the word afterward in the Hebrew it is the word achar, achar, A-K-H-A-R. And it incorporates what we call the double fulfillment understanding. A double fulfillment understanding in that it, its meaning would apply to those receiving the prophecy after what would take place in their lives, going all the way back to Joel or Yoel. And it also applies to that which comes way after. That's the extent, really, when you look at this one word, achar, at the very end. Because afterward, in the Hebrew form, means we're talking about, uh, <laughs> there's a statement called, uh, in English called the hinder end, uh, which means that the, really the very, very tail end of all things. And so even the word that is used in the Hebrew is the proper word to use for the double fulfillment. Both that which was fulfilled after God protected the city of, of Jerusalem and, and, and the, uh, the nation of Judah from the Assyrians, as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago. That was that fulfillment. And then yet there is yet another fulfillment to come at the very, very end. And it brings us back to defining and identifying when the last days are to take place. Now there are three phrases that we're going to look at and we're going to see them. And in the text that'll be behind me here or on the sides, I've put the Greek phrases for you to see. Uh, Three phrases in particular. Last days, last times, and last hour. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, because the question is, 
when are the last days? When did the last days begin? And how long will the last days be? So Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, and Peter has already been a, a, a very prominent a part of this particular study because, of course, he's the one that quotes from the prophecy of Yoel in the book of Acts. So Peter, in his own letter, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20, says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, we look at verse 20 now, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Manifest in these last times. And notice that last times in the Greek is eskatos chronos. Eskatos chronos. Eskatos is really the root for the, the word, the, the theological word eschatology, which is the study of last things. So that's where it comes from. Last, the word last is eskatos. And the word chronos, of course, is times. Now, chronos, of course, is something that we all should understand, has to do with time. Chronology has to do with time. Uh, uh, a chronograph is a, like a very fancy watch, you know. Chronometer, you know, these, these are, chrono is, is a matter of time. So, the question really has always been asked, when did the last days begin, and when do they end? And the simple answer, and some people might not like it, I don't care. But the simple answer is, the last days began at the coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, his first coming, the last days began at the coming, the first coming of Jesus Christ, and they will continue until his return. The last days began at the first coming of Jesus when he took upon himself flesh, and they will end when Jesus returns with ten thousands of his saints and the hosts of heaven and he places his feet upon the Mount of Olives and he goes into the city of Jerusalem into a new temple and establishes the kingdom of God for a thousand years on this earth at that moment. That's when the last days end. They begin with Jesus coming taking on in flesh. Now what Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, represents, so you can understand this, what Jesus represents is God's last work upon the earth. God's last work upon the earth. Now see, Jesus is overseeing all of this, isn't he? From where? Today at the right hand of the throne of God, the Father. But what did he say he would do? I'm going to send you my comforter, the Holy Spirit. And you're not going to be left as orphans. 
I will be with you. I will give you my spirit. So the Lord is still God's last work upon the earth. What is it that we preach as believers in Jesus Christ? We are to preach Christ and him crucified. We are to preach Jesus Christ as he who came to die for the sins of men, who did die, who suffered and died on our behalf, who suffered and died on our place, and died and was buried, and on the third day rose again from the death, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering the enemy. That's, our, that's what we preach. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. So Jesus continues to be God's last work upon the earth in the last days. And then you might say, well, that's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time. But I don't want you to forget something. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. With God, it's nothing. In his time continuum, it is nothing. The last days are just that, a couple of days. <laughs> but I want you to consider well, as well, that in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus is the last means by which God speaks to men. Because I need to establish this understanding for you, because if, if not, you'll get mad at me. That's okay, you, know, you can do all you want, get mad at me. Because when I say, you know, that Jesus is God's last work upon the earth, you're, everybody says, well, isn't it the church? Well, let's see what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. As I mentioned this past week, and I still believe that Paul is the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. You don't have to believe that if you don't want to. It's okay. doesn't matter. What matters is the first word of the book of Hebrews. God. Now, if Hebrews want to see anything in, in the scriptures, if Hebrews want to get any kind of a letter from someone, they want to know that God's first. And in the Hebrew letter, God is the first word. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Stop. So how was God working in the last, how was God working in the, in the past? He was working through the prophets. He sent prophets. He gave the prophets his word. The, the prophets were to give the word to the people. They were to foretell. They were to foretell. They were to tell forth the things that God wanted them to know. They were to foretell what was to come. Whether they were right with God or not, but something was going to come. Either blessing or cursing. So God, in, in times past, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, escatos hemera, escatos hemera, last days, spoken unto us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, 
by whom also he made the worlds. Jesus, the creator, what we're studying in Colossians chapter 1 on Sundays. And what we get a fullness of throughout most of the scriptures, but also in the book of Hebrews. I find it interesting, extremely interesting, that the word hemera is literally used for the time-space between dawn and dark. That's what that word means, most literally. Chimera was used to describe the time-space between dawn and dark. That's the last days, folks. We're still kind of in the light before the dark comes. Are, are you getting the picture? These are word pictures in the scriptures. No matter how dark the world is getting, and by, I tell you, man, the world is getting pretty dark. We're still the children of light. That's what scripture says. We're still the children of light, and we are still to be the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that to his disciples. He said that, of course, to those who were listening to that great message that he gave in Matthews 5 through uh, 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. But you see, once that light is taken out, and this is another thing that people need to realize, that when the church is taken out, light's taken out. And when light's taken out, what begins? The day of the Lord. And if the day of the Lord begins, and we know that the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloominess and not of light, why do you think it's important for Paul to continue to tell the church, you are the light of the world? You are the children of the light. Then walk as children of light. That's what he's saying. And quit walking like those that walk in darkness. So once the light is taken out, the day of the Lord will commence with its deep, devastating darkness and its distress. And folks, I tell you, I don't want anyone to have to go through that. The sad thing is there's going to be a lot of people that are going to go through that darkness. And they're going to think it's light because this restraining group of people called the church have finally just gotten out of our hair. Sad to think. So sad how we see the politics of today and how clearly the lines are being drawn, not politically, but spiritually. The Apostle John also uses a term of importance when considering the last days. John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, uses another word. He says, little children, it is the last time. Escatos ora. Gee, that sounds like Spanish. But it's Greek. Escatos ora. Time. Hour. It is the last hour. 
You know, that, that is more uh, relevant today than even 2,000 years ago. We are truly in the last hour. And notice that he goes on to say, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. Now John is speaking of his own time. Could we, if we had a meeting with John today, say, hey John, you know what? We got many Antichrists in our time too. Quite a few. Sadly, sometimes even in the church. And there's references to that by the Apostle Paul in a couple of his letters. Interesting. Even now, are there many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last hour? It is the last time. That's how we know. Because of the spirit of antichrist. And if the spirit of antichrist was as strong as it was in John's time, how much more is it today? So much greater because of the... Just... just think how much greater it is because of the technology of today and how things can spread in just a moment in, a, in an instant and so Joel's prophecy is, is pointing us to the last days of the last times and the last hour But the outpouring that is referred to in, in the prophecy and by the Apostle Peter is for us today. It is for us today. There, there are many today who, who declare that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit ceased after the apostolic age. Today they're called cessationists. Those who believe, you know, that as soon as the, the apostles uh, died out, then there were, there were no more... Uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit, particular, particularly and specifically the vocal gifts, you know, speaking in tongues, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and, and, and things of that sort. Which, by the way, is kind of a, a, a bold position to hold. Though I don't agree with it. But I believe that the Word of God has been given to us for a reason and all of what is in the word of God is for us today. But I'll just simply say that by looking at, the, at, at what we read in Joel and what we, what we read and heard from the, uh, from the mouth of Peter in the book of Acts, you cannot come to that conclusion. You just cannot come to the conclusion that gifts and, 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 and everything that pertained to the spirit to the church just died out. And they're no longer necessary. Some will go, to, go as far as to say, well, you know, miracles are not needed anymore. We don't need miracles to, you know, to substantiate the, you know, the work of God. Now we have the word of God. Yeah, praise the Lord, we have the word of God. But I know one thing, God's still doing miracles. And I'm not talking about showy things what good is it for us to pray for someone and not expect God to do a great work every one of us in this room who loves Jesus Christ is a miracle 
Once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and today we're alive in Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit continues to work. In the church, for the church, through the church, by the church. But it is the power of God The gifts of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit are to go on long after the apostolic age and has and have and will. I know that one of the problems, one of the, one of, one of the concerns that people have usually is, is the abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. Paul had that problem too. That's the reason why he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Because the Corinthian church were abusing the gifts of the Spirit. They were abusing their, their fellowship in the Lord. They were abusing the table of communion. They were abusing all of these things and he had to correct them. He didn't tell them, hey, you don't, we don't do that anymore. He said, if you're going to do something, do it right. Do it according to the way God wants you to do it. And he made very clear what the gifts of the Spirit were. If God didn't want to use them after a certain time, he could have said so. These will only work until you know, we get the full 66 books of the canon of scripture up and going and we're okay then. Okay. Let me get off my soapbox. And let's get back to the word. And let's get back to our text now and, and, when, and with the time remaining let's look more specifically at each verse, which is really going to be verse 28 tonight. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Verses 28 to 32, as I mentioned earlier, uh, form the third chapter of Joel's prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures, while chapter 4 in the Hebrew Scriptures is just chapter 3 in the English Bible. I already said that. So the fact that the Jewish scholars arranged the prophecy of Joel this way indicates that this short paragraph was significant enough to warrant its own chapter. These five verses were that significant to the Hebrew uh, scribes and those that received the word that they set those five verses apart, these five verses apart. And certainly it has to be studied in both its Jewish context as well as, as its New Testament context. Now we've tried to do that generally already. But going back now to the statement of using the word afterward, the, after, the afterward would refer to the Assyrian invasion as described in verses 18 through 27 of chapter 2. And again, it doesn't mean immediately afterward. Obviously, since a number of centuries passed before the Spirit was actually poured out. But it can be seen as a promise to those who would respond to the exhortation of the Lord given in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So when you look at verses 12 and 13, you're realizing that, as I said earlier, uh, the Lord wanted his people to repent. And notice what he said. He said, therefore also now, saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning 
and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. It is a promise to those and to anyone who would turn their hearts back to God. And, and, and think about how much we need the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Ghost or the presence of the Holy Spirit. How much we need that in the, in, in the, in the outworking of our own day. To know, to know and to understand what God's word is and what it means to us and how, how important God's meaning is more than our own meaning. I mean, I could remember years ago people that would get together and, and uh, you know, they didn't have a Bible study per se. They just got, opened their Bibles and said, well, what do you think this says? Well, what do you think that means? Well, I think it means this and this and this. Well, now that's not a good way to do that. <laughs> because you can take one verse of scripture out of context and I mean, you can, you can come up with at least 10 different meanings for one little verse. That's not what Jesus did with his disciples, was it? Even after the resurrection, just as we saw earlier on in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, Jesus gave them understanding of the scriptures. So that has to come through prayer. It has to come through study. It has to come through every faculty that God gives us to know what his word means. Rend your heart, not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God. God wanted them to receive understanding. And the Spirit. Consider also that the prophet Joel promised that before the day of the Lord would begin, that there would be an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would be accompanied by signs in the heavens and the earth. And during the time that is outlined for us in the Hebrew Scriptures, in other words, before the coming of Messiah, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit was given only to certain people with special tasks to fulfill, such as Moses and the prophets. They were given special tasks to fulfill for the people. And they were given the Holy Spirit. Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. Notice that it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me <coughs> seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest, to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and will put it upon them. God had already put the Holy Spirit upon Moses and now he said, I will take from my, uh, the spirit which is upon thee and put it upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not thyself. Alone. What a wonderful picture that God gives us here of how he gives the spirit for the work of the ministry. We can't go into the ministry well knowing that God is going to have to be the one to empower you for the work of the ministry. To empower you for the things that you do. And by the way, it isn't just any ministry or, or the, you know, whatever some people consider top ministries or whatever. Listen, if it is a matter of you just being a simple evangelist who tells people about Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, that God would give you 
an outpouring of his spirit so you can do that as unto the Lord and not unto men and not unto yourself. It has to be the power of the Holy Spirit to give us that strength and wisdom. And then there were the judges in Judges chapter 3. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon him who is, by the way, him is, is Othniel. Othniel was actually the nephew of... Um, um, who was he a nephew of? Uh, <laughs> ah, it'll come to me in just a moment. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, Othniel, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war, and the Lord delivered. And it wasn't this guy, because that name just, that's a tough one. Kushan Rishatayim. Kushan Rishatayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed again. And I have to say it twice now. So. Kushan Rishatayim. <laughs> okay. Wow. Oh, by the way, he was... Uh, <laughs> uh, Caleb's uh, nephew. Your old men shall dream dreams, I guess. Judges 6.34, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and Abietzer was, was gathered after him. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. God chose Gideon for a very specific purpose. God filled him with his spirit. Judges 11.29, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah and Gilead and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. Then of course there was David. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 13 then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So we see that in the Old Testament, of course, there were selective people upon whom God put his Spirit for very specific works. But the promise that the Lord gave through Joel declared that the Spirit would come upon all flesh. Now, understand this. I know that all means all. But there's also a distinction. There's a distinctiveness to where God is pouring out the Spirit. Obviously, if the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh, then all flesh would be affected by the Spirit of God in some way, and there wouldn't be any more crime, and there wouldn't be any more... Uh, uh, thievery and there wouldn't be a, a lot of, uh, of other stuff if we understood it that way. But that's not how we're supposed to understand this. The distinction would, which needs to be noted is that the Spirit would come upon, listen, men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile. Let's go back to verse 32 of Joel chapter 2 because when you put all of this together, when you put all of this together, the flesh that God is talking about, he's pouring out upon, it says it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Peter said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Whosoever means whosoever, whether Jew or Gentile. Now think about this for just a moment. You don't have to turn there, but in Joel chapter 2, well, if you're there, it should be. But if you're there, if you read before, from verse 15 all the way down to verse 28, there continues to be statements made by God concerning his people. His people. Ye children of Zion, when he says in verse 26, my people shall never be ashamed, my people. He claims them as his own. Verse 27, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be afraid. Ashamed, I'm sorry. But look at verse, uh, uh, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see vision. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. The servants and the handmaids who are of the children of Israel. So there is that particular distinction that we need to understand. So that, so that it's clear that when you think about all flesh. I, I read a, a, a statement in a, in a Jewish uh, translation it's actually a Messianic Jewish translation that says, um, uh, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit upon all humanity. And again, if, it, if it's that general, then what, what is going to be the effect? If it isn't then going to be that the spirit is going to be used by all humanity. So there has to be a distinction here as to understand who is receiving the blessing of the Spirit? And again, we go back to Acts chapter 2 with, with Peter saying, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And again, your sons, your daughters, your young men, your old men, my servants and my handmaidens. Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, my servants and my handmaidens. I will pour out my, uh, in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And then of course he ends that phrase with that, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that gives us at least an understanding then. Yeah, he could pour out his whole spirit upon humanity. But the effectual working of the pouring out of God's spirit is going to be upon those who, are call, who have called upon the Lord and are saved, both Jew and Gentile. With that in mind, we've, we've really only accomplished about half of the verse. Well, let's say a third of the verse. We've got a little bit more to go. So we'll pick up there next time.